we're going to continue our message this morning. From last week, we talked about it, started with it, part one, stinking thinking. Today, part two, we're going to continue trying to remove that stinking thinking from our, from our lives. Amen. We pick up where we left off last week. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 was the text that we used. And we went through it. Let's bring it up one more time. We demolish the arguments and every pretense that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Say with me, rebellious thoughts. And that's what it is, rebellious thoughts. When you have words, when you have ideas and thoughts that are contrary to God's word, it is a rebellious thought. Amen. And it's something that should be taken captive and set aside so that we can become obedient to the word of God in every area of our life. Amen. Father, once again, we come before you. We ask now that each heart and mind will be directed to you. That will be opened up the spiritual man. The Lord will be awakened at this moment. And Father, will hear your word, a word that will set us free and change our lives. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will touch each one in a mighty way and that our hearts and minds will be transformed and cleansed step by step, Lord. We thank you. And Father, we recognize it is by your mercy and your grace you must move on our behalf, Father, because if you're waiting for us to be perfect, <laughs> it's never going to happen. So Father, I cry out to you, Lord, that you might work in our lives based upon your grace and your mercy to draw us and connect us to your desires and your wants. And you receive that glory and honor, we pray. Amen and amen. You know, we talked a little bit about in the beginning of the year, we're talking about resolving. And so we're going to go one more time and say, if we're going to succeed in, in our resolve to choose the right guard, guide, to choose the right future and our right door, fulfill the, a fulfilled life and to let God bless us so that we might be a blessing to those around us, then we're going to have to change the way we think. We're going to have to remove that stinking thinking. We're going to have to take those rebellious thoughts, take them captive and set them aside and destroy them. Amen. Now last week we started and we laid that foundation for rethinking our lives. And I want to go through it real quickly. Amen. I, again, one more time, I want us to become saturated with God's Word. We need to be saturated with God's Word. If we expect God to move in our lives by His grace and His mercy, then we need to be saturated by His Word. Why? Because when you're saturated by the Word of God, the Spirit which seals you into that day of salvation has something to work with. We no longer want to grieve or quench the Holy Spirit. We want the Holy Spirit to be free within our lives, to bring back to memory those things which are true, because as the Word of God manifests itself in our lives, we become more like Jesus, because Jesus is the Word made flesh. And the more and more we become more like Christ, the better and better the world is around us. Amen and amen. All righty. The first one we saw last week, real quick, was, number one, my thoughts control my life, but I can control my thoughts. Say it with me. My thoughts control my life, but I can control my thoughts. And Proverbs 23, 7 tells us clearly what he thinks is what he really is. We need to control our thoughts. Amen. We need to be careful how we think because our life is shaped by our thoughts, and that's true. We, never get, we, have, to, we have to discipline ourselves so we're not speaking lies or anything that's misleading. Amen. We need to be careful with the way we think and the way things that we say. Number two was this. Change starts inside of you, not outside of you. Any change I want in my life must start in my mind, not in my behavior or in my consequences. And oftentimes, people want change in their life, and they figure they're going to somehow change the circumstance or change the situation or work on changing their behavior. That is not how it works. Amen. God Almighty tells us that transformation occurs within our lives. Amen. And it starts with the way we think. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Do not, what? Conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when your mind is transformed, when you're no longer conformed to this world, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, 
His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen. So that passage of Scripture says two things can happen. One of two things. Either number one, we're going to be conformed to the patterns of this world with all of its world views, etc. Or we're going to be transformed. And the way we're going to be transformed, the Scripture says, is by the renewing of our mind. And we know what that means. It means by taking in God's Word, applying the precepts and principles of God's Word to our life so that we can become as He wants. Amen. And then the Scripture says, oh well, we'll know His good and pleasing, perfect will for our lives. So change starts inside, not outside. That's important because it goes against sometimes what we think should happen in our lives. Either conformed or transformed. Amen. Third point we saw was this. Third and fourth. Third. I can change how I feel by changing how I think. Amen. I can change how I feel by changing how I think. Number four was realize that every behavior, this is an important one, every behavior is based on a belief. You know, we get in our life, we do our thing, we, we acknowledge the word of God and we, we want to do the right thing and we live our lives, but there are certain core values that we still have deep inside. It's there. And oftentimes they're covered over. They're glossed over. Those are things we accept. Those are things we believe that are real. And we have to realize that every behavior is based upon a belief. Whether it's good or bad, it's based on a belief. Proverbs tells us very careful that very important for us to see that the Lord Almighty says give careful thought. He wants to give careful, careful thought. He wants to give careful thought. A simple, a simple man believes everything, but a prudent man does what? Gives thought to his steps. Give careful thought. Give careful thought. Give careful thought. Okay, number five. Any sin, any time I sin, at that moment I am believing a lie. Any time I put my will over God's will, I am saying in essence that God, you don't know. Your word isn't right here. I got it figured out. I need to do this. Now we have defined sin as what? My will over God's will. That's so easy to define that. When I was growing up, it was always defined as short, hair, long, whatever it might be. But it's really defined to my will over God's will, that's what it comes down to. And so anytime I sin, in that moment I'm believing a lie. I'm believing my lie. I'm believing that I am right, God is wrong, He doesn't understand. The Word of God, whether it be disciplining children or whether it be the jobs that I take or however I respond to people around me, I am putting aside God's Word, His principles, and I'm applying my own thoughts. Scripture tells us clear there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, what? It leads to death. First, spiritual death, and then always physical death. Spiritual death first, it leads to physical death. John chapter 8 verse 32 says this, and that's why the truth will what? It'll set you free. What did Jesus say? Then you will know the truth, and the what? The truth will what? Not as I perceive, or not how people define truth, but Jesus said, I am truth. And that truth will what? Set you free. You want to experience the power of God? You want God to move in your life? Then you need to be set free from that stinking thinking so that God Almighty can work in your life and lead you. Amen. It's important that we come against those things that would distract us from God's will in our life. Number six. Seven is this. Six is this. An unseen war is going on in and for your mind. Listen, for folks, we're Christians. We're at battle. You know, we're not on a cruise ship someplace. They had some fun over the cruise ship. But we're on a battleship. And we need to understand there's a fight going on for our minds. Amen. And remember this. So remember this is important that it's a brutal war. It's a war for everything that we stand for. And listen, 
it's just, if anything, the evil wants to tear down our reputation so other people around us look at it and say, what are you talking about? You're no different than I am. You've got this problem, you've got that problem. Listen to me. Look at Romans chapter 7, verse 15 says, and Paul goes on and says, I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I don't do because I hate to do it. And that's just what he's saying is, here's the fact of life. I know what I should be doing, but evidently, eventually I do the wrong thing. I work really hard at doing the right thing. I want to be God's servant, but I instead find myself enslaved to sin. I don't understand it. It's there. Then he says, well, you know what? But there's a war going on inside me between the good news of God and my old patterns of life. But praise God, God's given us the power, everything we need to overcome this war. He's given everything we need to defeat the evil one. Amen. Now, let's pick up where we left off last week. It took me about an hour last week to do all that. And I did that in, what, five minutes. You know, praise God. Pastor Bob, take notice. Don't worry. I got more time coming. I get paid by the minute. <laughs> Number seven. To win the battle in and for your mind, I must what? Have God's spirit and God's word inside of me. Father God Almighty, just saturate our being with the word of God. Now, here's the problem we have. The word of God comes forward, but we pick and choose. We say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I want that. And we pick and choose. There are some people when, and my father, I'm never going to say my father's not with us anymore. But every single time I started preaching, he'd go to sleep. He'd fall asleep. There are some people, as soon as you start speaking the word of God, they just kind of doze off. There's this glazing that comes over. The spirit of slumber comes over them. Now, as soon as the message is over, word's over, they're alive again. Think about that for a minute. See, the word of God is very clear. We've got to have the word of God. We've got to be saturated with the word of God. That means we've got to believe that the word is true, and we've got to anticipate. We've got to come saying, Lord, fill me. I want to receive more of you, Lord God. Even if, even if I heard that passage before, I know it's going to be new. I know it's going to be refreshing. Holy Spirit, have you way in my life. Bring it back to memory because I know, well, Father, I don't know all the things I'm going to be facing this coming week. But you're preparing me, Lord, that I might be victorious in you. And so, therefore, it has to be this understanding that God's Spirit, see, God's Spirit cannot fill us. He cannot fill us and work in our lives unless the Word of God's there. The written Word of God has got to be taken in. We've got to. That's how we, know, that's how we begin to know right from wrong. Because we have the Word of God. We know, we understand what the Word of God, what He's really saying. Well, Paul is saying, hey, you know what? I need to know more of Him. I need more of God. I need to win that battle. Amen. Listen, you're not going to win this battle for, over your mind and your own strength. It's impossible. You don't have enough energy to do that. You can't do it. Because there are three, actually, there are three enemies that we face every day of our lives. The world, the flesh, our flesh, our old nature, and the evil one himself. And bombarding us. You've got a we've got a culture around us which is fighting against us. That culture around us doesn't want to make us better. It's always saying we can improve and you have this, that, and the other thing. Listen to me. It's destroying. It'll destroy our lives. It wants to tear us down. And you got the old nature inside of us. Those things that we remember, things, patterns in our lives, those belief systems that we have that are there, core that haven't come out, things we've covered, things we've assumed that it's okay, it's right. Those core values come up when the Word of God comes forth. All of a sudden, there's a conflict. And most times, we end up doing something. We end up giving into our core value rather than the Word of God because we have a tendency to fall back on that which we know. Amen. Instead of something that is new in our lives. And then there's evil one himself. 
sending messages, bringing people into our lives, and, and, and just constantly bombarding our hearts and minds with certain ideas and thoughts. Because we call it the unholy trinity. The world, the flesh, and the evil one. And they can pile up against us. They come against us quick and heavy. You're not, hand, you're not strong enough to handle them by yourself. And you need two key weapons. That's what Scripture says. You need, number one, if you're going to win the battle of your mind, for your mind, then you need God's Spirit within you, which received the time of salvation seal, but you need the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life on a daily basis. And you must have the Word of God. You must have the Word of God. The book of Ephesians tells us this. We struggle what? Not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in what? Heavenly realms. Galatians chapter 5 verse 17 says, For the flesh desires what is contrary. Your nature desires what is contrary to the things of God, to the Spirit of God. That's what the Scripture says. And the Spirit desires things which are contrary to the flesh. They're at war. You know, the old cartoon where you got the devil on one side and the angel on the other side. That's not so far off. Except it's not on your shoulders, it's in your mind. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Don't love the world or anything in it. If anyone loves the world, you know what that means? To love something, it means to be committed to. Don't be committed to the things of this world. Don't be committed to the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not, you can't be, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or hate the other. For everything, only good defines it, for everything in the, in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are going to pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. What's the first thing? What is the main will of God? To glorify Him in all things. Giving glory unto His name. That's, that's our call, folks. Giving glory unto Him. And our worship and our praise. We just focus it right down to simple things. That's, and it's not that simple, is it? But when you have a desire, we talked about if there's an experience you have in the, with the Lord, you're going to tell somebody. I'm going to tell you something. When you testify of the good things God's done in your life, you're glorifying the Lord. When God's healed you and touched you, and you share that with others, you're glorifying the Lord. Every single time that you apply a principle of God's Word, whatever situation you're in, you're bringing glory unto Him. That's what you're doing. And the world will take note of that. They'll see that. Amen. And amen. But remember what the Bible says again. The Scripture tells us, for though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. Notice this. We live in the world, but we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are what? Not the weapons of the world. On contrary, they are of divine power. And notice what do we do with the divine power. That divine power is to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets us up against the knowledge of our God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We're living in the world, but we don't fight, with it. We don't fight by their same standards. I just got this visual in mind. You know, when we were getting involved with the uh, Revolutionary War, Brits would come, and they would line up on their little old lines, right? And they would come attack. That was the strategy of the world. What did the Minutemen do? Hide. We hid behind trees. We did the unconventional thing. We won. And that's exactly what the evil one, he comes in with his force. You and I, as children most high, need to do the unconventional thing. We don't fight the same way they fight. We don't. Scripture is very clear. 
we don't fight with their same weapons. The power we it's a divine power that we have. That divine power is released in our lives as we allow the word of God to be released from our life. You want to pray, you pray the word of God. You release the word of God that you have taken in your life. You release that word. Amen. And as you release that word, God Almighty will honor that. Amen. We demolish, the scripture says. Notice I twice it said that. On the contrary, we, they have divine power to demolish, demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient unto Christ. Power of God. Power to demolish every stronghold. And we talk about strongholds, we're talking about mental strongholds. Strongholds of our mind. That's the place where we hold on to the pain and the hurt. Those are habits that we have that we go over and over again. Doing the same thing over and over again, thinking somehow we can get a different result. But we're doing the same thing over and over again. There's strongholds. Stronghold of our mind. Unforgiveness. Strongholds. Bitterness. Unforgiveness stronghold in our mind. The what if stronghold in our mind. What if this? What if they did that? Stronghold of our mind. He says we have weapons of God's power to demolish the enemy's strongholds. To kick down every worldly argument, every worldview, with all of its prideful defenses that set up against us. Talking about Sets up against the knowledge of our God. And we capture, we capture all those rebellious thoughts, those rebel thoughts. We give them up in obedience to Christ. We make them bow to the word. And we exalt the Lord God Almighty. There are strongholds, the scripture says. Number one. You should be talking about mental blocks. We're not talking old age here. We're talking about mental blocks, spiritual mental blocks. We begin to believe something false. It could be a believing a falsehood about ourselves. It could be a belief a falsehood about our world. A falsehood about who our God truly is. About our past, our present, and our future. Whatever it might be. It's a stronghold there. It's a lie. There's a lot of things we believe down deep inside that just simply aren't true. These are strongholds. Mental blocks. They're there. And when the word of God comes forth, and hits one of those strongholds, it's like, nah, 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 nah. You're not listening. Just a glaze comes over you. Because we have a tendency to receive the Word of God, the parts of the Word that we agree with. And the part of the Word that we don't agree with, we resist. We just shut it off. It can't be true. It can't be. It sounds so strange. You know, we have worldviews. We talk about worldviews. Everybody has a worldview. And I can give you a whole list of worldviews, and we can go through them in depth. We're not going to this morning. But naturalism, pantheism, theism, amen, spiritualism or polytheism, it's there. And also a postmodernism, which is basically, in fact, if you look at our world today, postmodernism is really what's happening today. That belief system. You talk about naturalism, it's just evolution. You know, it basically comes right down to, you know, atheists believe that, agnostics, etc., and they just believe, look at, you know, one-dimensional, you know, there's no such thing as spirit or soul, nothing, you know, everything's can be based upon an, upon natural law. Fit the, you know, success or the survival of the fittest kind of thing. Pantheism. Real simple. That God is everywhere. He's in the trees. He's in the pews. He's in your life. He's everywhere. God is everywhere. And there's no distinction between good and evil. Theism. Simple. We believe there's an infinite personal God. 
we believe that he is the absolute expression of right and wrong. He is the expression of morality. Amen. And the spiritualism, spiritualism which basically pantheism, uh, polytheism is basically this idea that, you know, everything material is there, but there's some kind of spiritual something behind it. Demons are behind everything, you know, and, and the natural things of life, and they're involved with so much, and, and when it comes to, uh, to what, knowing what right and wrong is, the main thing is this, don't get the demons kicked at you. To about taboo. Don't say anything. Get them mad. There's no right and wrong. The only thing is, keep mad. Don't get them angry. There's a belief system in that. Then there's postmodernism. It's interesting because I see it more and more today where it basically says our culture establishes the standard. That there should be no one that says that I have all the answers. Postculturalism says this. It's postmodernism says this. It says that there's tolerance and freedom of expression no matter what it is. We're all to be inclusive. Amen. And we refuse. We refuse the thought that's only one way. I see that happening today big time. Listen to me. The worldview is a set of beliefs that you hold true to. Now you can find a mixture of all that. But it's there. That's that special set of goggles that you put on every morning that allows you to see the world through that vision of reality. And then there's also that personal attitude we have. The way we look at life. We look through the eyes, we look at life through the eyes of worry, or we look through the eyes of pride or self-pity. There. These are things built up in our mind, and they screw, screw the, 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 the very lure of our the vision of our God, the word of God. Because they're, they're the way we interpret things, the way we express ourselves, the way we take in information from those around us. Built up in our mind. Though we what? We what? We live in this world. We are not engaging war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are have divine power. Amen. God Almighty, anoint us with your spirit. Allow the word to be in our lives so that we might be instruments of deliverance. Because the only way people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is not by the words that we speak, by the experience that we express. People go out to, we should be so close to our Lord, and this is for all of us, we're, we're false. we should be so close to the Lord that when we are around them, they know something different. And not the hair tonic that we got or the deodorant that we're wearing. But there ought to be some kind of scent. Something's different about you. Yeah, that's right. No, something better than that. <laughs> Amen. Weapons to fight. Not weapons of this world. On the contrary, he says. So when we have those rebellious thoughts, the scripture says, I want you to take captive every one of those rebellious thoughts and put them obedient, make them obedient to Christ. Put them under God's word. You know you have rebellious minds. You have a mind of your own sometimes. A mind of its mind, right? Of its own. Sometimes our thoughts go haywire. All of a sudden we're just freaking out over whatever. We're paranoid. We're all know what's going on. All these thoughts are just coming their way. They're all different. Putting us in all different directions. Ever have that happen? You've got to pray. I need to pray. And you get out and you begin to pray, but your mind begins to wander. All of a sudden, you think about crazy stuff. I, I got to meditate upon the Word of God. So you you take the Word of God and you begin to to begin to read it and look at it, and, and then all of a sudden you just kind of days and dozing off. Your mind's wandering again. I know some people that actually read the Word of God just to put themselves to sleep at night. Really, 
I guess that's probably, there's probably some truth to it. I think most of us, through our school years, that's how we learn sleeping. <laughs> those are rebellious thoughts. And he says, take those, the word says, I want you to take, cap, capture those. Literally, take those rebellious thoughts and make them prisoner. Conquer them. Bring them under control by speaking the word forth and then standing upon it, acting on it. It's not just a matter of being able to speak, but we've got to stand on it. We've got to act on that word. Amen. So how do you bring those thoughts under control? Well, how do you make them give up? How do you make, you know, bring them into submission? How do you do that? Two methods. The Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And, and those two weapons you have are to make your mind mine. You need the Spirit of God in you. Praise God, we receive that in the day of salvation. See it. He begins that work. Without Him, I'll tell you what, without the Spirit of God working in our lives, we are defenseless. You can't control your mind if you want to do it on your own. Romans chapter 6, chapter 8, verse 6 says this. It says, for the sinful mind, the sinful man is what? The mind of the sinful man is what? Death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life. Amen. In other words, it's a dead end. We're not going to go anywhere if we try to control things by our mind. Mind over matter. Really? I don't mind. You don't matter. Is that the kind of thought you have? It's not going to work. We need the mind of Christ over all things. Without the Holy Spirit, then we have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit in our life, we are powerless. There's no way you can control that rogue mind that you have without the Spirit of God. Sinful nature, the Scripture says, controls your mind. It's going to lead you to all the wrong places. Your thinking is going to lead you to all the wrong places. And we need to be saturated by the Word of God. Look, the Scripture says, to the Jews who had believed in Him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, notice that, not if you hear my teaching. Not if you're in the presence of my teaching. Not if you have touched me, reached out, no, no, or I've touched you, no. If you hold to my teaching, which means that you've got to hold on to it, which means that you're going to be challenged to let it go. If you hold to my teaching, that means you're going to be tempted. There's going to be a trial in your life. Something's going to happen where you're going to want to resist and walk away and not accept. If you hold to my teachings, he says, you are really my disciple. What's a disciple? A follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus means you have to hold to his teachings, which means you have to receive his word. Then the scripture says you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What's amazing to me is the world loves that last part. The world loves the part that says you shall know the truth, and the truth sets you free. I'll tell you what, you could probably go to universities and colleges throughout this country, and somewhere along the line, plastered on the wall will be, you shall know the truth, and the truth sets you free. The world embraces that thought. They don't want to embrace the first part. If you hold to my teachings, then you'll have the truth and the truth sets you free. We're not going there. We're just going to hold on to the latter part, not that first part. Can't do that. See, we want the truth without God's truth. The scripture is so clear that God is the source of all truth. So you can't separate verses 31 and 32. Can't do it. It's impossible. There's no freedom without truth. There is no truth without God's word. Bottom line, that's a truth that can set you free. Amen. And we have his truth. We have the truth of God, the word of God. He's given it to us. See, so, well, I, I don't know if I want that. 
that's fine. You don't want truth. Because, you know what? The thing I, like, I love about the Word of God is that it's truthful. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't sugarcoat anything. If you go into the Old, the Old Testament, I'll tell you what the Old Testament does. It reveals the good sides of the guys and the bad side of the guys. If you go through and take a study and survey of the Old Testament, you're going to find out there is more murder, rape, and incest and betrayal. In the, amen. It's there in the Old Testament. It's like the Hollywood movie going on and on and on. It's there. You say, why? Because the Bible tells the truth. And if, we were, if it was a human book, we'd leave some of those things out. We would do like they do on Hollywood. You know, we try to give this glamorous look of every star like they do nothing wrong. That's what we would do if it was human. Let me tell you something. God's word is true. It reveals who we are, what we need to be, who God is. It's true. We need God's word. We need his spirit. We need his truth in our lives. The Bible's called the word, the sword of the Lord. It's one of our tools. Amen. All right, number eight. My goal and my hope for you is to learn to think like Jesus. He's the model. What a healthy model he is. You talk about being a model, he's a model of holy thinking. He's the model. There's no one, there's no one better. No one else could ever live up to or be that model. Here's the good news. The one who is the model of holiness and righteousness, guess what? He understands all of our fears. He understands how the deceptions come about. He understands the difficulties in our lives, all the barriers that are there, those blind spots that we have, he understands. And you say, why? Because he's been there. He came to this earth, he lived here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in this body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. He knows everything we've gone through. And by the way, that's why it's so important for us that we would know more and more about him when we start to think like him. You know, when we talk about he was done with sin, it's not like the scripture saying, you know, he never had a problem, he never had, was stressed out, never was discouraged, never had a conflict, had people, never had people turned against him. No, it says that Jesus went through everything that we went through. Let's learn to think like he thinks, and we'll go through those same things. That's what the scripture says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You want to get through those hard times? You want to get through that fear, that worry, the anxiety, and all that stuff that comes in? Then let your mind then think like Jesus thinks. Because he went through it all. Amen? Next, number nine. Rethink like Jesus. If you think like Christ, it's calling. When I think like Jesus, rethink like Jesus, it's called repentance. One of the things I've noticed over the years is that somewhere along the line, something happened to the word repentance. Repentance has become a negative word. We don't want to talk about repentance. When, when, you, when I say repent, you think of a guy walking around with a sign. Repent. Day, the Lord's day is at hand. Repent. Sinners, change your ways. Turn or burn. The end is near. 
when we think of repentance, oftentimes that's what we think of. We think of a guy crying out saying, y'all going to die and fry while we go to the sky. And so when we hear that word repentance, it's an ugly, angry word. People reject that. It's a disturbing word. Folks, the world's idea of repentance is totally wrong. Wrong. I'll tell you what, that repentance, that word repentance is a transforming word. It's a secret to everything in life. It's a secret to finding joy and fulfillment. It's a secret to, to having a connection with our God. All of that is connected to the word repent. The word repentance is not to be used by Christians to, as a hammer to battle over people's minds and over their heads to try to get them to wake up and, and fear them, channel, scare them into heaven. No, no, no. The word repent in the Bible simply means to change your mind. Reverse. Do a yui. Nowhere in Scripture does this define, and you can go to Lexon, you can go to Lexon, to the Greek lexicon and, and go through there. Listen to me. You're never going to find the definition of repent Say, stop doing bad stuff and go to heaven. No. What it says is, Change the way you think. Change the way you think. The way you're thinking now, change the way you think what it is now. You used to think this way, now think this way. That's what repentance is. So when I talk to somebody about repenting, I'm actually challenging them to change the way they think. Which means that when I come to them, I'm going to bring forth the Word of God in such a way to challenge the way they think. Because I want them to change the way they think. Think. See, I'm going to tell you what. Repent, then, is one of the, the most transforming words there is. And it's a positive word. It's a positive change. Listen to me. I used to think guilty thoughts. Now I think forgiven thoughts. I used to think damnation and, and discouragement. Now I think about a life of peace. I used to think stress, right? But now, no, no, no. I think about peacefulness. used to think about hell all the time. But now I think about heaven. I used to think there was no purpose and there was no meaning in life, but now I know there is a purpose and there is meaning in life. See, when I repented, when I made that change, what a change occurred in my life, a positive change, a blessing. I'll tell you something. <laughs> if I understood all the benefits, benefits of changing my mind about God, all that would have happened in my life, the changes in my life, would have done it earlier. Sometimes we present the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't do it right. We use that word repent to scare people, to jam it down their throat. But it's not. That word repent is calling folks to change, to turn from darkness to light. To turn from no hope to hopelessness to hopefulness. Change of mind. You say, well, Pastor, how 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 do we make that change? How to change? Well, change your mind about everything. That's part of the problem. Part of the problem. I've heard it over the years when it comes to repentance. I only have to repent and ask God for forgiveness for the bad things in my life. As if there's some good things I can hold on to. No. As a child of God, we are giving up everything. We are changing everything. We're being rebooted, so to speak. 
We're dumping those programs that are in our minds and hearts, the way we thought, and we're going to be transformed. Now, it's not going to happen overnight, but there's an attitude that says, I can't trust the way I used to think. I can't trust the way I think anymore. I can't. I've got to change my mind about everything. Let me tell you something. The Word of God isn't just about spiritual things. It's about our life. We cannot separate the spiritual from the secular. Life. I changed my mind. I changed my mind about everything. I changed my mind about God. I see him for who he really is. A loving father and righteous judge. He's not some dictator in the sky. You know, no, that's a misunderstanding of who our God is. I changed my mind about myself. I changed my mind about the matters of life. I now see things more valuable than what it was. I see the value as God defines those things. I changed my mind about death. I changed my mind about the purpose of life. My mind's changed about love and everything about me. My mind has literally changed about repentance. I have a new worldview. I have a kingdom of God worldview. I'm a theist. I believe in one God. Really existing in three persons who is the he is the definer of morality. And he loved me so much he sent his son that I might experience new life. Change of mind. A lifestyle. A lifestyle. A lifestyle that will begin. A true lifestyle of of peace and of love and of joy which begins the moment I begin to think like God thinks. And I think less and less of the world. The most positive transforming word in Scripture is repent. And it's not about turning or burning. It's not about yelling in anger. Repent! No. It's a positive exchange where all of a sudden I used to think God didn't love me, but now I realize He does. It's a change. Thinking God was mad at me, but now I know He's mad about me. I used to think there was no real meaning in life, purpose in life, but now I know that God has a plan and purpose for my life. And all of these benefits come from repentance. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent then. Notice what the scripture says. Repent then and turn to God so that your sin may be wiped out. Notice that. Don't stop there. Sometimes that's where we stop when we present the gospel. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Set your sins wiped away or you're going to hell. Look what the scripture says. The reason why I repent so that my sins will be wiped. So that I can what? So times of refreshing can come. That's the message of salvation. That's the message of repentance. We repent. Why? So the times of refreshing can come into our life. We can experience the fullness of God, the purpose He has for our life, that intimate relationship and worship and praise, spirit-filled life. The Amplified Version says this, Repent and change your mind and return back to God so that all your sins may be erased, blotted out, wiped clean, so that times of refreshing and recovering and reviving may come from the presence of the Lord. I guess the question is this. Anybody need a little refreshing? Do we know anybody outside these four walls and our families that need a little bit of refreshing? Amen? Does anybody need a little recovery of joy? A little reviving in the Spirit? It all comes from repentance. Changing my mind through the written word of God by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, <laughs> praise God, 
I want more of God. All of a sudden, I'm going to believe truth and not the lie. I'm going to believe what is right and not what is wrong. I'm going to believe what God says about me and not what the people around me say. I'm going to see things, people, circumstances through his eyes. God transforms and changes. God give us a discerning heart. Amen. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn my, turn my mind, my, change my mind. There's a lot of things we think about, about life that are just flat wrong. They're self-defeating. They keep us locked up. They keep us locked up in this, this self-imposed prison. And God doesn't want us there. God does not want the person, a sinner, to be locked up in some self-imposed prison. He wants them free. To experience refreshing in their life. Amen. And amen. It's time to change minds. It's time to bring repentance. It's time to redefine that in a way that we see it as a positive where people can find it. It's time of refreshing. You want a time of refreshing in your life? I'm going to show you Jesus. I'm going to show you what he can do in your life. Amen. One more last thing before we bring it to an end. Revelations chapter 2. The last book of the Bible, you know, the book of Revelations. The very beginning of the book, is Jesus sends this letter. He sends a letter to the, the seven churches, very famous churches in Asia Minor. They would be in the area today of Greece and Eastern Europe, etc. Turkey, etc. He sends these letters to one of the churches, church at Ephesus, a well-known church there. Here's what he says. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. That sounds good, right? That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Amen? You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I'm feeling like a trophy coming. You know, got all these check marks at this point. Verse 4. Figures. Yet I hold this against you. What is it they held against them? In fact, folks, I'm going to tell you something. The very first message I ever preached, I was going through the, the apprentice program with the church. The very first I had to preach a message. First message I preached. I went to this passage of Scripture. You've left your first love. That was the one thing. You know that these folks were into the Word. You know that because why? They were persevering. They couldn't tolerate wicked men. They tested those who claimed to be apostles but were not. They had a holy standard in their life. They were enduring hardships for his name's sake. There was a blessed hope that they had. They weren't growing weary. They were encouraging one another. It's a good thing. But what happens? The scripture says, but you hold this against you. You've forsaken my love. You don't love me the same way. You don't look at me the same way. And he tells them a few things he wants them to do. I want you to repent. And do the things you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your candlestick, your candle stand from that place. You no longer have a light. You're no longer going to represent me. You cannot represent me, he says, unless you have a passion for me. There are salesmen and then there are salesmen. There are people who present a product and you know they're just going through the motion. But then there are some who have a passion. There's vacuum and salesmen who sell you a vacuum cleaner and never used it in their life. But then there are those who use one. 
Which one are you going to buy from? I'm going to buy from, I'm going to buy the vacuum cleaner from the individual who's used that vacuum cleaner. I'm not going to buy a vacuum cleaner for somebody who's not used it. It's like being a salesman of Ford and you're driving a Chevy. What's up with that? I ain't buying your car. I'll buy a Chevy. You're driving it, I'll buy a Chevy. Jesus said, look, you did all these things. I know your good deeds. You've done a lot of good in the world. You've, had, you've worked hard at this. You've served me. You've done everything right. You put up with so much. You put up with suffering and persecution. But I noticed something. What was really important to him? What was important to the heart of Christ? The works, here were there, good. What was so important to him? Was that love. First love. But that love that anticipates. The love that, that puts everything aside just to listen, to be there. That doesn't allow, doesn't allow, doesn't allow the distractions. Can't wait for the next moment to be in his presence, to be in the presence of those around. You don't love me the same way you used to. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because this is a good church. The church of Ephesus is a good church. He says, you've got so many fine qualities. But you know what he says? You don't love me like you used to. You've lost that passion. And I guess the message is every day we awaken, we need to be checking ourselves. Do I love you, Lord, like I did the first time around? Is the passion still there? Or do I allow the things of this world to come into our heart and mind and, and, and I'm being distracted and as a result there's strongholds being established in my life? Was there ever a time in your life that you were closer to the Lord than you are right now? The answer is, oh yeah, you know. Or the answer is, well, I, I just kind of went with the flow. I come to church, accept Jesus as Savior, but I've never experienced that. If you've never experienced the passion of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're missing out a lot because the Scripture says repentance brings a refreshing. And when, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, that power of God, that, that anointing, that desire, knowing that you're a child, should be like a fire shut up in your bones. And I'll be there. That'll be excitement. We're not just going through the motions. Oh, I gotta be here now. No, you kidding me? I'm gonna serve the Lord. I love him. I'm gonna express that in worship. I'm gonna tell you something. When you have the Spirit of God, the most high God in you, working in your life, you want to express your love and adoration for him. You're not gonna be thinking about all the stuff you've done wrong or whether you should or shouldn't, or who's thinking about what. No, you're just gonna worship the Lord. You've got to do that. You become an instrument of praise and of worship. Well, it's not like my against my nature. <laughs> Give me that baloney. When the power of God's in your life, you don't have any other nature but the nature of Christ. And you're going to exalt the Lord. Not because we encouraged you to do it or, or because we had a talking horse and you got all excited about it or because the music the way it was. No, because it's a relationship you have within your life and you're going to express that. And I don't mean you're all going to run around the altars. You're not going to run. No, but you're, gonna, you're just going to, you're not going to zone off. You're going to ignite. You're going to engage in worship. Amen. You've got a lot of fine qualities, isn't it? But you, you left that first love. You need revival, renewal, refreshing. You need that. Verse 5 says, remember, remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the first things. Do the things you did first. 
you don't repent, I'm going to come take your, remove your candlestick, your witness, testimony. He says three things he wants you to do. He wanted the church of Ephesus to do these things, and I would dare say he challenges us to the same thing. Number one, remember what it was like before you, you fell away. Remember what it was when you first gave your life to Jesus. Remember, and he said, I want you to repent. Change your mind, your attitude. If you're not changing your mind and attitude, you're not in the Word enough. And if you are in the Word, you're resisting some of it. You need to open yourself up to it. Amen. Because you can be in Bible study. You can be in Word all the time. And not, re- not accept it. Just accept like You'd be like you're sprayed with a spiritual or a false spiritual of Pam or something. So it just kind of all slides off of you. Don't stay with it. <laughs> I just thought of that off the cuff. It probably doesn't work. It worked for me. Repent. Change your mind, your attitude. Number three, return. So it's remember, repent, return. Remember what it was like before you fell. Repent. Change your mind, your attitude. Amen. Become an expression of the word. And return. Do the things you did with me at first. You know what? We could take that have a marriage counseling right now, right there. A seminar right there. Husband and wives. Number one, remember what it was like before you fell away. Remember what, what attracted you to one another. You need to repent, change your mind a little bit about that individual. Think honeymoon's over? Why is the honeymoon over? And then number three, return. Go back to what you first did. Amen. I'm putting that in now because Valentine's Day was so close it just kind of slides in, you know. <laughs> I invite you to do those three steps. We need to do that. Amen. Stop letting people fill our minds with stuff. I just want to close down with this. I want us to bow our heads, if you would, with me, please. Will you pray this kind of prayer? Will you just ask the Lord? And, and not just ask, no. Will you proclaim? Will you acknowledge? Will you speak to the Lord and say, I want to be close to you again, Lord. I want to be closer than I ever have been before. I just want to fall in love with you over and over again. Lord, I want the cry of my heart. My cry of my heart would be to to renew and refresh and revive my relationship with you. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then Father say, I want to be revived again. Revive my life and heart. I want to repent in their true meaning. I want my mind to be changed. I want to allow the things of this world that I've allowed in my mind to be removed. They're not correct. They don't belong there. Because it's your truth that's going to set me free. That's the kind of prayer we pray. I want to change my mind about you, about the matters, and focus on what is important, how I spend my time, my money, etc. I want to think like Jesus. And if there's anybody in this place who's never opened their life to Christ, and all they've seen is men walking around with signs saying, repent, turn or burn, leap to the sky, I challenge you, stop for a moment. That's not the message of the church. It's not the message of Christ. His message is we repent so we can experience the fullness of life, an abundant life. And I would pray that you, the Lord would make himself real to you today and days that would follow to know you. Father, I pray right now as we're talking about this, that these things that I've spoken will truly experience, we will experience them. Renew all of our minds in this place, Lord God. Allow your spirit to work through our lives in such a way that it enhances our everyday living. That every single day we live becomes a day of worship and of praise. 
that our minds will be transformed as we take in your word. It's not going to happen just simply happen because we desire it to. No, 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 no. We're going to spend time before you. Saturate us with your word, Lord. Touch our lives that we might truly be an example of worship and praise. Your glory unto your name. Amen. And amen. As we close down, spend some time around the altars and just call upon our Lord. Let's be a carryover as we cry upon our King to our Prince. Amen. Praise his holy name. We worship him in spirit and in truth. All of every need and every want. Lord, help us to return once again. Become radical for you. As we take down those rebellious thoughts and ideas. Become more like you. Instruments of worship and of praise. Oh, that others might come to know you. Experience that refreshing in their hearts. Praise your holy name. God is good. And all the time, God is good. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. I want you to take the message with you. Think about it, these things. And let's commit ourselves to become more like you. Amen. And our lives will be refreshed like we've never seen before. Ephesus was a good church, but there was still an issue that the Father had and that they had to work out. Let that never be said of us. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for the day you've given for the word, Lord, that touches our heart and soul. Pray, Lord, that uh, it won't, our spiritual man just doesn't glaze over. Stumbling spirits, stumbling, stumbling spirit, Lord, can we can bind it and, and allow you to work through our lives. Father, as we can Compose before us, Lord, I pray, Father, pray, Father, to recognize your divine hand in our lives, to be able to share the good news with those around us. Father, you see their glory and we pray that we bless you. Amen and amen. We are dismissed in Jesus' name.